This is a dog named Tiny Rickshaw, who I'm dog-sitting for the day. My friends found her in Los Angeles on the 4th of July Yeah. after she got spooked by some fireworks and got and ran away from home and got tossed into their yard. And then nobody claimed her, so they brought her to Portland with them. And now Tiny Rickshaw is here with me. She's a chihuahua. Um, are, are you are you doing any are you doing like any animal care work at this point? That seems like something that would be up your alley. I have done animal care work in the past, yeah. but like I worked at a place called Farm Sanctuary, taking care of rescued factory farm animals. But right now, I just am taking care of my dog Ponyo, who's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, After the Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you know it's funny like in the in, in the book um, you have a dog named Gizmo. Which seems like, you know, it seems like a thing a kid would name a dog after, but that has carried on into your adult life. I didn't even think about that. And before Gizmo, we had a dog named Tootsie. We T- had a Tits- Titsy? Toots- Tootsie? Oh, Tootsie. After the Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, Hoffman movie, movie but yeah. I named that dog that as a kid, which is totally weird. Well, that's, I mean, Gizmo, I get. Yeah. I get that. Dogs look like Mogwais. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ponyo, I, I guess. I mean, does the, does the does it bear a resemblance to the fish no, she's a spunky girl. But you know okay. what? I had a dream a couple nights before I got her. Yeah. That I was in Vermont, where I'm going, to the Center for Cartoon Studies. Okay. I'm going to be the fellow. So I had a dream I was there, doing my fellowship, and I met a chicken that had the face of Ponyo. And we had a really deep conversation. And then I yeah. woke up and I was like, wow, Ponyo. And then I met this dog, and I was thinking of what to name it. Yeah. And I was, I was like, maybe it was a sign. Yeah, maybe I should name it Ponyo, and it should come with me to Vermont and be my friend there. Do, do you do you have lots of dreams about your animals? Because I, I was actually taught literally before you came, I was here with um, our film crew, and we were talking about. I think I don't know how I have no idea how the conversation led to this, but um, every time I've talked to somebody about having kids. I've always said that I don't think I'd be able to have a kid because every time I have an animal, I end up having these nightmares, these like guilt nightmares about sitting on it or forgetting to feed it. Oh, uh, I don't think I have guilt nightmares about the dogs. You're definitely going to have more of those if you ever have kids. That's my, I'm, I'm like, this is not going to be a good situation for me or for the kid. And it's going to be like those first couple years, like the two hours you do get to sleep, yeah. you're just going to be racked with. Just, yeah, like, I'm, don't shake the baby. You're like, oh, no, I accidentally shook I'm the gonna baby. I'm going to waste that. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to waste that. There, there's so many more ways to mess up a child that go beyond just not feeding it, right? <laughs> you could shake it. You could sit yeah. on it. It could fall out of the height. It could fall off anything. I mean, that's, I, I think that might be one of the things I, I appreciate about animals is, you know, there, there's... There's pretty basic care involved, and then beyond that, you give them some attention and love. But there's not, you know, they, they don't. You're probably not going to mess them up psychologically if you don't do anything horrible to them. They're not going to be like, you didn't tell me I was a good dog enough. Yeah, I felt like a bad dog. Right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I don't. I don't have that many. Uh, it's weird. I don't have that many dark dreams about the pets. Except for I'll have like dreams where they're doing annoying things that just give me anxiety during the day. Okay. And then that will just carry on into my sleep. But it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's like, you know, shut up, Ponyo, quit barking. Yeah. But you had five dogs at once? Yeah. I was just thinking about that this morning. I had three dogs in my house this morning <laughs> and they were driving me crazy. And I was telling someone, I was like, you know, at one point I had five dogs and they yeah. were like, what? I have four wiener dogs that belonged to my girlfriend at the time. And then my dog, Beja. 
And I thought about dogs all the time because they were always underfoot. They were always barking at each other, biting each other. They would be on the bed when we were trying to like do it. Yeah, I had I dated like, a girl who had two wiener dogs, and you are, you're in bed, and they're burrowing. They're they're oh, right. They're burrowing. Yes, they're burrowing under the covers. Yeah. Once I had a wiener dog riding my back like a surfboard while I was making out with somebody, <laughs> and I was trying to get the wiener dog off, and he was just like bracing himself and taking it like like he was riding waves. It was horrible. But yeah, I had all, so many dogs, and anytime anyone knocked on the door, the dogs would all go screaming at the door and throwing themselves at yeah. the door and barking and grabbing people's pant legs like a dog in a movie. Well, this is another thing about... I mean, it's it's a thing about probably lots of dogs in general, but in some ways, it's very specific to the Dotsons. Is that this is this is what we would this is we we would constantly sort of try to figure out what to do in that situation because either they're sitting at the door barking because they're hounds, yeah, or you have to put them on the bed, which is again t- psychologically not great for anybody. I think, no. right? No, I was making out with somebody. And watching a dog, and then the dog just like sat up near the pillow and was staring. And I was like, "Go away!" Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to know what to do in that situation. It, it's hard to know. It's hard to know too, like how. I, I mean, I, I guess you can psychologically damage a dog because it's hard to know like what they <laughs> think of what's happening. I hope they don't think about it at all. Yeah, there's loud noises. Dogs don't <laughs> like that. And dogs don't like. Beja didn't like hugging. She didn't like any kind of smacking, like play smack, like you know, yeah. if you were like. Hey, are you like, you know, hit your friend as a joke or anything? She hated that. She hated if you went running at somebody. My dog now, I've trained her to just sit in her kennel quietly. <laughs> when, like, at bedtime, she goes and sits in her kennel. So she sees a lot of things that are probably horrifying her or scarring her brain, but at least she's not, like, on the bed or barking at the door. Or sometimes, like, the wiener dogs will try to, like, 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 lick your arm. Like, you're doing it, and then you just feel like a weird little dog tongue on, like, your leg or your arm, and you're like, oh, God. There's got to be people out there who have figured out how to incorporate that into. Somebody likes that, but it's not me. Despite despite the rumors, it's not me. So the really the really roundabout way that we got down that really upsetting <laughs> rabbit hole was I, um, you know one of one of the things that was really interesting to me in, in reading you know your book and and your zine in general is um, not just the number of jobs that you had, but sort of the the breadth of different jobs you've had. What a lot of different jobs. Yeah, um, and I'm wondering, like, you know, is is, is that on purpose? Are you doing as, as as diverse of different sort of part-time things as you can? No, I will do almost any job. Like, I kind of just feel like if I ever, I mean, I have jobs now that have a lot to do with my industry. You know, like I draw comics and then I teach comics, and that's my job. Yeah. But I would do any. I'm not above any. Like if everything collapsed, everyone's like, no more. No one's going to buy any more drawings, and nobody wants to learn about comics. I would work wherever. Yeah, I'd be a janitor. That sounds great. I go to podcasts all the time. That's if I got paid enough to be a janitor, and I didn't have other options, I would be a janitor. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you were picking up after five dogs. So what's what's the difference? Cleaning a toilet, right? What's listening to podcasts, being by yourself, just like hanging out with the mop bucket. In a weird way, it's like cartooning, right? It's like cartooning, but better because it's maybe less boring. I don't know. Cartooning yeah. is lonely, and you probably get paid more as a janitor than yeah. you do as a cartoonist, hour yeah. for hour. What 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 drives people to the world of cartooning? I mean, because it, it does, it really does attract aggressive introverts. <laughs> which is re- which is weird because I'm kind of not, but then I yeah. spend so much time alone to do it. I don't know. It's a compulsion. Maybe it's people that are neurotic or compulsive. Yeah, it's it, it, and it, 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 and it's always it's always fun to go to like 
Have you been to you've been to SPX, right? No, I think oh, I'm okay. going this year for the first time. Okay, SPX is my is, is the example. Like, oh, 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 the dog's gone. He's running to get the dog. This is live, live action. The dog ran across the street. Oh no, I gotta go. The dog's back. It's hard. It's hard getting a dog back that doesn't belong to you, right? <laughs> it, I, you know what? I actually did it a couple weeks ago. Somebody I was kind of dating was over, and then I really liked them, and then then their dog ran away from my house, and I was like, I have to get this dog back, or yeah. like, no one's spending the night. Like, nothing's happening. So I had to go run around my neighborhood and talk to every neighbor. And be like, have you seen this dog? Have you seen this dog? And a creepy old man was like, oh, don't be afraid, and kept getting closer and closer. He was like, don't be afraid. And I was like, I wasn't afraid till you, you know. Till <laughs> he said, don't be afraid, yeah. But then that guy ended up being the one that found the dog. He huh. just was like yelling and pointing, and I ran. To, I was like, get some baloney. And he got some baloney, and I went, and I got the dog back. And, yeah. I, I, that's a, a, again, like I, I literally just read the book this morning. That's a, that's a bit, it's a little, little detail, like is, um, is covering the wound of the oh, dog bite. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, Went to this girl's house for the first time, and I was like, oh, I love dogs. And I was going to let out one of her, I was letting out her four wiener dogs. And the old dog, Lamb Chop, uh, didn't want to go. And I tried to, like, give him a little push, a little yeah. push down the stairs, just like, come on, let's go. And yeah. then he turned around and bit me, just bit my arm. And then I covered, I just pulled my sleeve down. I was like, I don't know. I said I wanted her to think dogs liked me. I did. It's a, it's a, weir- it's a weird thing, you know, I... I've got a very different situation where I have a rabbit, which just doesn't like anybody when they come over. But I'm wondering, you know, if you if you invite somebody over for the first time with certain devious intentions and they don't get along with your animal, is that a deal breaker? It is, but I think most people fake it. Yeah. Most people fake it as well as they can the first time. I mean, it's like... The you first know, date. They'll be like, oh, yeah. cool dog. And you can tell if they're a dog person or not. Yeah. I, well, but but the flip side is, like, whether the dog likes them. I and mean, we like to, like, imbue animals with certain psychic abilities, but a lot of animals just don't like people, the first, especially the first time. My dog, Beja, didn't like strangers. Yeah. But then, you know, sometimes I would walk in the room, and the person I liked the least, she would, be, she would let them pet her. Mm. I was like, what are you doing? We don't like them. Like don't that's a frenemy. Don't let her pet yeah. you. Yeah. They're they're like you, you want to be like little like furry Ouija boards, right? Yeah. But you know, I knew that my dog Beja didn't like strangers at all, and especially people the better their intentions were and the more aggressively Dr. Doolittle they tried to be, the less she liked them. Hmm. She needed people that gave her like the cold shoulder at first. Yeah. She liked to like she liked the chase. Yeah. Um so then I realized I couldn't I couldn't use her at all as a Ouija board because she's so bonkers. Yeah. So I kind of had to ditch that. And now I just have a dog who likes every person all the time, even people that I think are terrible. You know, like on the street, someone would be like, hey, hey, pretty lady. And then <laughs> my dog will be like, hi, hi, pet me, stranger. Hi. You know. Let's, let's talk about zines. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about well, I guess, ostensibly the reason why I'm talking to you on the show. Um, when, when did you actually start publishing? I think I started doing zines when I was about 14, and I was in Catholic school. I called them zines. How did you find about zines in Catholic school? Probably, well, I was uh, I was on a lot of ska message boards. Oh, yeah. And, cause this I'll talk ska all day if you want to oh, turn this into a ska you, cast. You have a checkered I'll, past. I'll go, I'll go head for head. Ska cast. Yeah. Um, I was on a lot of ska message boards where people would write 
you know, write those um, digest emails with yeah. like every single person's topic about any ska thing they saw. Like sure. I heard a Blondie song at a Denny's that sounded like it has ska beat, like any <laughs> ska thing. And somebody was like, oh, I did a zine. And everyone's like, oh, cool zine. And yeah. it was like a dollar. And every, he was getting so much attention and so many dollar bills. And I was like, okay, I'll see what it is. And so I sent him a dollar for his design. And then I got it. And it was so boring and it was so bad. And the layout was so bad. And I was like, this guy can get all these dollar bills and all this attention. Like, I could do this. Because you were in like Kansas this. at yeah. the time? I was in Kansas. And I was like, this is all it is? Yeah. Like this? I could do this. So then I did one that was a ska zine that was um, about working at Subway and ska music and aliens, <laughs> which were my three main interests. I worked yeah. at Subway. Sure. And I was an alien. I was into the whole, like, alien resistance. Don't get abducted by aliens. No. You know. The auto- was that the autopsy era? Sort yeah. Of, that yeah. Yeah, period? yeah. Yeah. Where it was like, this alien autopsy video is real. Yeah. Um, and so I started doing that and interviewing bands and stuff. And then um, I didn't really draw for it, though, because I had drawn comics for a long time. And then in middle school, I tried to draw X-Men kind of characters. And it didn't work out for me, yeah. as you can imagine, from sure. seeing how my drawings are. It just didn't work out. Sure. So then I was like, oh, I'm so bad at drawing. So I stopped drawing. So I was like, well, I can't draw X-Men. I'm obviously not good at drawing. And then I would hire other people to draw in my zines. Um, and then, I don't know, sometime around high school, I got into more like, I liked trauma zines, like where people were like, I had a panic attack and all these things, horrible things happened to me. And I was like, that's great. I really relate to that. And then <laughs> like Riot Girl zines I liked. And like, I, that's, zines are how I got politicized living in Kansas as a teenager. Because the internet wasn't what it is today. I, I, I'd like to kind of ex- explore that a little bit about how... Okay, so you, you, you get a terrible zine yeah. on the internet. Yeah. You decide you're going to make one. Yeah. What's the process? The process was... Because like now physically? you're in Portland and now they like have classes that will teach you how to do them. And you've I taught teach the classes. Cl- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I teach you're those that classes. <laughs> I, or you can go online and, and you know figure it all out. It was very like... Um, you know, it was a lot of things like taking pictures from the subway handbook of, you know, like the, literally like the employee handbook that was yeah. like, this is the perfect subway man. And I had a picture of like a cheesy guy with like a mustache and a visor with his shirt tucked in. Um, and, and then laying it all out. I think that I just printed stuff off my parents' computer, cut up the text, pasted it out, and just going to a Kinko's and staying there forever. And the photocopy machines didn't collate anything. So you had to... If your zine had like five, pa- you know, all the pages had to be laid out and you had to walk in a row and put them in the right stack to staple them and fold them and stuff. And then, thank goodness my mom supported it and she helped me pay for postage to send them mm. to Fact Sheet 5 and Maximum Rock and Roll and like any zinester whose zine I had read, I would send it to them. I would take it to the local record store. Yeah. And I didn't realize since I was 16 or 15 or whatever, everybody wanted to help me. Like, being a 14 or 15-year-old, having your parents drive you downtown to Kansas City so you can, you know, ask somebody if they'll take your zine on consignment is really cute. Where at the time, you know, I was like, oh, that's nice of them. I didn't realize it was because I was so young yeah. and awkward looking. And it was like, here, will you take my zine on consignment? It's 50 cents. So I guess 25 cents wholesale. <laughs> it's 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 funny. Like, you probably, you probably get this a lot, too, as, as somebody who's pretty much, I know, everything I've read of yours has been autobiographical. Um, where, where people where, where people read stuff and then meet you in person and you know have certain expectations because I was I was like oh well I've you know I read about your mom in this book and it surprised me that she was supportive of your zine habit yeah well yeah she was supportive of lots of things you know it's like she didn't make me go to school but she did <laughs> get me guitar lessons 
You know, or like she didn't like take me to the dentist before I had a mouthful of cavities. Yeah. But she did buy me ice cream a lot. You know, it's <laughs> like it's just kind of like yeah, both ways. Yeah. Yeah, the school God, the school thing is that's a that's a that's a pretty singular experience, right? Not going to school for yeah. over like forty days in like third grade. Yeah, I had I had I had stomach issues growing up as well, but huh. I had you know bad in, well not incidents, but you know I was put in rough places, but I didn't get to miss three months of school because of it. I just you know I think she was at a I don't know it's it's kind of like the thing I was just saying where it's like things that maybe would have been actually good parenting things like health yeah school like basic needs weren't necessarily getting covered was she, I, did she want to be a cool mom i don't even know if she wanted to be cool i think she was distracted with her like abusive relationship yeah that she was in yeah with, like an alcoholic dude and she was she had her own thing going on and then i was like kind of a i don't know if i was like an albatross i was like a bummer you know yeah, it, she would do the fun things with me. Like yeah. we would have R and R days where she would take me out of school so we could just go have some rest and relaxation. So she would her. get she would get to have fun herself, and then you you'd kind of be along for the ride. Sometimes, but also sometimes she would just pencil out a day for us to have fun together. Yeah, but she still like wouldn't make me do my homework or wouldn't you know make me brush my teeth. Like I had to decide to start brushing my teeth in sixth grade. Before that, nobody was really policing my tooth, so my teeth were like rotting out of my head. But yeah. I had tons of candy bars and Nickelodeon and tons of time alone. To just play with my Barbies in my house instead of going to school. Get out of those French fries, dog. So now I'm a strict dog parent. Yeah. So, so I mean, at some point you must have decided that you wanted to go to school, right? Uh, I don't know. I guess, you know, kids... You learned to read and write. I did. Well, yeah. I was good at that. I just naturally took to reading and writing. You know, I just was naturally artistic. I naturally... Like, I learned... I skipped kindergarten... I knew how to read probably before, you know, around first grade. Like, I taught myself to read with my sisters. Um, but kids at school would give me a hard time about not coming to school. Yeah. But, I, you know, my mom really wouldn't. And then I started to like school more in middle school. I thought it was more fun then. That is, that's the time that everybody starts hating school. Yeah. You're, but then I was like, this is more fun. Like, I, I don't know. I thought it seemed cooler. Like, the, there were, like, some tougher kids in middle school. I was like, this is cool. Did, did she, she? She must have read the book by now, right? She has read the book by now. This is a your podcast exclusive yeah. recent recent uh, occurrence because she so knew it, about it before, but okay. she hadn't read it. So it came it. out in January. Yeah, and she so knew it took about it. half a year, I guess. That's all. Just a half yeah. a year. I mean, could could be worse. The dog. Come here, dog. Huh. <laughs> the dog just fell off the bench, and then we put it back on the bench. <laughs> um, she did read it, and. At first, she was a little, uh, a little harsh about it, but then she the, the parts about her specifically. Well, no, just when, when she actually like saw the back of the book or saw the blurbs or reviews for the book, she was like, "Oh, give me a break! Like your life was so bad." And then she read it, and then she basically was like, "I'm humbled, and I love you," and that's all. Hmm. That's all she said. I'm humbled in that it's really good or she that just, I didn't know what you went through. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe both. I think yeah. it was like a little cold water reality check but then it was like oh and you're my daughter who's still nice to me who still wants to have a relationship with me yeah who still loves me even though these horrible even though you think or know these horrible things that have happened they didn't disappear yeah we still love each other we're still trying to have a relationship it's interesting that you brought up you, you brought up trauma zines after being your post your, your post ska zine uh-huh. um you know was that in in in, in 
was that because that was something that you you thought you were going to do at some point? I, mean, I did one. I don't know if I, I don't know if you would call the book a trauma zine, but certainly you're dealing with trauma. If it was a zine, I would call it that. Well, I mean, yeah, I I yeah. think it's in that genre. Like, um, I I actually did a trauma zine, kind of it, when in high school. But all my friends were like punk boys. Who were like, dude, TMI. Like they didn't want to they didn't want to read about that stuff. Yeah. So I I put it down for a while. But I think those kinds of things, like um, reading people's really raw, vulnerable, truthful zines about trauma or mental illness or abuse or family stuff, kind of shaped me. And then memoirs that deal with those things shaped me, too. Hmm. Um, I just have always gravitated towards them, and I liked them. And I was like, I would love to do something like this someday. If only I had an exact story to wrap around it. Like, I always knew I wanted to do something like Phoebe Gleckner had done with diary of a teenage girl or i don't know you know things like that um but i wasn't ever sure what yeah and i took for granted that i had a storyline at all to tell i was like let's talk about my dog some more and then yeah you know i was was, uh uh, yeah i was was reading um i was reading the first collection and i think the first page might have mentioned that at some point i'm going to write a book about these dogs yeah. That that was just something from the outset that you, I guess, were working toward, maybe? I just, I knew I always wanted to do something longer, but I just never could figure out exactly what the thing was. I was, like, waiting to figure out what the thing was. And then I had written a short, funny story about when I called Dr. Laura and given a little bit of, you know, preface about, oh, well, here's why I called her, because a psychic told me my dad was alive. Ha, ha, ha. And then a literary agent actually approached me after that and was like, hey, why, have, why don't you make this into a graphic memoir? And I was like, oh, oh, okay, great. You were like, oh, this super crazy thing that happened to me. It never clicked that that no. would have been a good long-form book. No. I was like, oh, you mean this story I have that spans like 20-something yeah. years that I have like a very firm beginning, middle, and end to? Oh, I guess I could do that. Sure. And so then I was excited to do it. Did it, did it come out in pieces when, when you were working on your zine for the past how, however many years? Like, did portions of the book yeah, come out. The- yeah. If you look at um, the second anthology, the second Invincible Summer anthology, I feel like there's little bits and pieces here and there. Like I just like start, would write about things, but so vaguely. Um, and then I, I think I actually lifted the breakup scene in the book from the breakup scene that happened in Invincible Summer, hmm. volume two. Um, I kind of I already wrote it there and people liked it and I liked it so I just kind of lifted that and amended it for the book that that actually brings up an interesting point and you sort of touched on this you know through middle school and and I'm wondering if if that has sort of carried on this this idea of you know significant others or potential significant others being turned off by either A the personal stuff that goes into there or B the idea of eventually being in the book Thus far, no. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's hordes of hordes of people who, you know, who have already made that decision, and just I don't meet them in that sure. way because they already are like, nope, you know, stay away from that. But the other people that I date, the people that have been, I mean, I don't write about every person or everything that happens, you know, because I edit, they're not interesting or, or they're just, too personal. I don't know, it, take, it kind of takes a lot. It either takes being a completely random day that I happen to diary about yeah. to be in the zine or something giant and traumatic or being my friend for like 10 years. And then you happen to be in like five pages of... You have to earn it. Yeah, but then 
But it happens that the people I've dated, like Radar, the person that's in their outlet, people are kind of like so narcissistic or something that they just don't care. Hmm. They're like, good. I don't know. Like the person I wrote about in the book, Radar, she didn't even care. I started drawing comics about her when we started dating that were in Invincible Summer and she didn't even want me to change her name. She was like, I was like, what should your pseudonym be? And she was like, I don't even want one. I'm so good. I'm gonna. I'm so good. Why? Why would I want a fake name? What well, could have been any radar, really? I mean, when he come right down to it. When he comes right down to it, well, I ended up changing her name for her own good. Yeah. Because I was, I was like, that's crazy, that's crazy. You don't know what's gonna happen, and also, like, what if we break up? So that's co- that's common. Then most of those people that we read about in the book who are you are directly related to have had their name changed, or just ones that you know eventually there's gonna be some shit's gonna come out. Um, almost. Anyone I date, for the most part, has had their name changed. Um, some of my friends don't, because I'm just like, what's the consequence of that? Yeah. You know, like, I'll use their first name. But mostly, usually anyone I date, I'll change their name. One time I drew a diary comic, and I w- had been dating someone for, like, a month, and I drew her wearing a mask the whole time, because I just couldn't deal. I was like, I don't want to... I don't want to show you who she's at all. It just doesn't that, even matter who that's she is. So, that's strange for a couple of reasons. I mean, <laughs> one is because... And this is no no reflection on your drawing ability, but like I don't know if like you drew a picture of somebody if I'd necessarily be able to pick them out. You know what I mean? Cause I it, know it's a you know it's I'm delusional. It, I'm like, it's not you know it's not like super true to life cartooning. And the other thing too is you could just change a face. Why would you draw a mask on somebody unless you were drawing attention to the fact that I, it's hard for me to draw. Like I would rather like once I had a bad roommate. And I didn't feel like drawing him. And so ins- I didn't even, I couldn't even imagine drawing him with a different face. I just drew him as a carrot instead. So like this girl I dated, I can't even imagine drawing her with like a different color of hair or yeah. a, an eye patch. Or, I just drew her with a, a ma- I don't know. It just came to me that way. I'm almost delusional where when I draw something and I'm like, oh, this looks exact. This is like a photo. Yeah. This looks exactly like them. And yeah. so then I just imagine anyone reading it or at least like my 10 friends who I get any feedback from would be like, oh, is that so-and-so? And then I, I don't know. You alternated between styles in the book when, like, flashbacks. I mean, when, when did when did that factor? I mean, when did that when when did when did you kind of like, snap into that idea? I well, I started drawing the book, and everything was you know, quote unquote, photorealistic, or basically as detailed as I can draw yeah. it. From, but I was using photos as reference, and I started drawing the childhood parts. And I realized it was not fun to draw myself getting traumatized as a child. <laughs> it wasn't as fun as one would imagine. So I would be like drawing a picture of us at Disneyland, but then me crying and like being six. And I was like, this sucks. This is not fun. And were you, I, you were reliving it in a sense? Kind in a horrible way. Yeah. yeah. Like just if anyone just wants to imagine like dr- dr- like having a photo reference of like your worst day. And then drawing, trying to draw yeah. that and, like, going into the memories. So panel by panel by panel. And knowing that I had to work on the book for at least a couple of years. Yeah. It took five years. Wow. Um, I was like, you know, I can't keep this up for two years. I have to do something sustainable. I have to be able to get through these childhood drawings without having it be such a drag. So I started doing the childhood drawings in a way more simple, fun style. That's the way that I naturally draw for myself a lot of the times. Um, and my friend Aaron Renier had... He was like, you should do the whole book like that. And I was like, that, that's crazy. Laren draws elephants. Yeah, he draws elephants. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, you should do the whole book that simple. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think so. But I did just, I did make a conscious decision to draw all the childhood memories that way. I also felt like it reflected the quality of my memories from that time. Like, your childhood memories are way more, like, stuck and black and white and just set. 
Whereas, like, the more recent memories from the present day things are more, like, grayscale and nuanced and detailed. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, and, and, and this, this, this definitely struck me when I was reading it, but it's this idea of, like, childhood memory as a detective story. Oh. Right? Where, yeah. you know, and I was thinking about, you know, certain things, maybe certain family things that sort of came to light as an adult. Mm-hmm. And then the instant you hear them, you flash back to these bits and pieces that you got where if you had been a grown-up and heard those it would have been obvious yeah or i don't even know because there are a few i mean there are definitely like a few instances in there where it's like you're you're getting some subtle and not so subtle hints oh yeah where things like like i was like hey mom why don't we get social security for yeah. my dead dad and she's like uh it, it's too late to apply for that we should have we would have had to apply a long time ago and i was like oh all right oh well you know or yeah yeah Things like that did come to light as things that are like stuck in my craw that I didn't even realize were there or, you know, stuck somewhere in my mind. So ultimately, I mean, like ultimately are, 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 is, are you working through stuff? Is that, is that part of the process of doing a book like that? The book? Yeah. It's nice. I feel like it got a lot of things off my chest. Yeah. You know, before I signed the book, I was like sitting in front of this contract to work with the agent to sell the book. And I did, wasn't sure if I should do it or not because it's a big deal and I'm not that old. You know, if I was 50, it might be something to be like, oh, I have so much perspective. But I feel like mm. since I was in my 30s, I didn't, you know. So I called a psychic to ask her, should I do this book now or wait until I'm older? Because I thought it would be appropriate yeah. to ask a psychic sure. since I, a psychic had begun the yeah. whole story. And the psychic said, um, if, the, if you ever want to do the book, the time is now. And it'll take you somewhere you need to go with your family, whether it's good or bad. And it ended up being true. Hmm. I mean, I took that. I was like, okay, good enough for me. And I signed the contract. But it, it was true. Like, you know, I, it's true. Like, it got all these things off my chest and helped me make sense of them. But it also helped build a bridge between me and my family and all these things that were unspoken or forgotten or purposely shoved, like, under the carpet for so many years. Hmm. Me bringing them out and showing them how they affected me emotionally kind of helped bridge our family in different ways and helped us... But your mom, your mom didn't read it until now, and she hasn't. I mean, she reacted to it in a very cryptic way. She did, but for her, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, for her, that reaction is is pretty pretty stellar. Yeah. Um, but also, like my sisters, you know, something like having a giant secret between you and your family members is a it's just a weird unspoken rift. And then I think the book has brought us all closer together. So that's nice. Hmm. So I got to work through things about... It was stupid to have to work through my, like, 24-year-old relationship again. It was stupid to have to, like, live that, relive that relationship while I drew it and relive that breakup and how that felt and being like, oh, she chose someone else over me, boo Was that stupider than working through something that happened to you when you were five? The five-year-old thing felt more grand yeah. and healing and, like, monumental. Yeah. To be like, I'm writing about the most shameful things I can think of. I guess like in a weird way, secrets. like, it happened a long time ago, but obviously it's it's abstractly had a larger impact on your life than breaking yeah. up with somebody at 24, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't know why. I just felt like it was really important to show that, like, horrible early 20s relationship and kind of also how I was, like, building this, like, really, like, s- stupid, you know, like, fake family structure where I was like, this is going to be great this is going to be like the family I always wanted. And then it was with like the craziest person I could find. And, and I was a like, bunch why of dogs. And a bunch of, I was like, why did yeah. this work? Um, so like, that's why it felt, it felt stupid to be like, Oh, I can't believe I did this. Yeah. Or like, you know, writing the things that actually happened and then be like, and then I just kept dating her. 
But the, then the family things, it was more like, oh, these are the things that shaped me, and I'm letting readers see how this shaped me into the adult that I was that they're reading about. So kind of an, an, an interesting question, you know, and beyond just like having dogs serve as surrogates for kids, um, <laughs> you know, does, does it make sense to, to model a same-sex relationship on, you know, a kind of like a, like a more traditional family relationship? I think it does. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, yeah. I think it does. I mean, honestly, the... the In that there are, like, roles, that there are similar roles that people are playing? They kind of are. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, generally, I am attracted to masculine people, whether they be, you know, a lady or a trans dude or a dude or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not like it's, like two girls doing each other's hair and then we're like who's gonna be the dad or <laughs> who's gonna be the man um i mean i think the biggest obstacle wasn't the like same sex family part it was more like growing up with such a flawed with such a flawed model yeah. for like what's an appropriate partner uh, yeah. like what's an appropriate family structure like what kind of having been through like four or five different father figures yeah like so many father figures and like you know just feeling so out of control all the time and then growing up and being like okay how do you date somebody without being like controlling or picking the craziest person in the room and being like, I'll take care of you. Look, I'm used to taking care of crazy people. Let me show you how great I am at taking care of you and having no needs. Like that was way more of an obstacle yeah. in, you know, figuring out how to have like family structures or partner dynamics. I'm just going to go out on, on a limb and say that that had uh, that episode had everything you could ever possibly want from a podcast. Uh, we, the, there were there were relationships. There was tiny dog based adventure. There were sides of French fries. Um, oh, I should say right now that um, uh, no animals were harmed in the making of that episode. The, the tiny dog is, is just fine. Uh, thank you so much to uh, to Nicole George for for taking the time. Um, you should check out her book uh, Calling Doctor Laura. It's fantastic. It came out. In, uh, January. Um, she's got uh, the ongoing zine, Invincible Summer. There's a couple of volumes uh, out there for, for you to read and enjoy. Um, oh, and uh, if you pay her enough money, she'll she'll happily draw a picture of, uh, of your pets. Find all of that and more on on uh, on on the internet at uh, nicolegeorge.com. Um, thanks uh, thanks to to Brian as always for editing this. Uh, thanks to Mark and everybody at Boing Boing for hosting it. Uh, thank you to uh, uh, former editor Geneva for, uh, for for recommending the interview in the first place. Um, if you if you liked what you heard, you uh, you should go rate us on iTunes. Five stars. It's a pretty pretty good place to start. Uh, you can send us a note. It's riylcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Tumblr, uh, riylcast.tumblr.com. Uh, still got a whole bunch of interviews lined up. A couple more out of Portland. Uh, we spoke to to Dave Allen from Ganga Four. Uh, that should be coming out next week. Um, another zinester out in Portland, Martha Grover. Grover that uh, that will be coming up after that. Uh, what else? Um, spoke to uh, spoke to Kim Deitch recently. Uh, oh, Reggie Watts. Talked to Reggie Watts. That's uh, you can enjoy that in the near future as well. And uh, lots more to come. We'll uh, we'll catch in just about a week. 